0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 13, 1 through 9. It can be found on page 818 in the Pew Bibles. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Annabella, for reading scripture for us. And it's really good to uh, to have all of you fifth graders. And we're really excited to, thanks, Paul, to have uh, you a part of uh, Sunday mornings and upstairs on a regular basis now. Um, one other announcement that I wanted to add to what we were already um, sharing has to do actually with what Annabella just did for us, reading scripture. And um, something we talk a lot about Christ community, the importance of, of reading our Bibles and probably 70, 80% of, of our messages on Sunday morning at some point, we probably encourage you to read your Bible as a way to respond to the message. Um, but I know for, for many of us, reading uh, the Bible isn't an easy thing to do. Um, we may want to, but we find that you're kind of reading it and it's like, I, don't, I just don't get anything out of this. And so we're going to be hosting uh, a class on June 11th, just called How to Read the Bible for Yourself, to give you some tools to begin to read the Bible for yourself and actually begin to get something out of it. And I just thought of this in between service. I'm going to try this out for you. And to kind of let you know who this is for, is this for like really advanced people, really basic people, I'm going to call, I'm going to put you on what I'm going to call the the Obadiah continuum. Now, the Obadiah continuum is this. On one end of the Obadiah continuum, you've, you've know about Obadiah. You can tell me what it's about. You've read it. You've studied it. Other people, kind of more in the middle, it's like, well, I I think Obadiah is in the Bible. I've never even heard of Obadiah before. This class is, if you've never heard of Obadiah before, this is, come. Because this is going to be a place where we're going to, no prior knowledge. If you've never opened this book before, but you say, I want to, I feel like I want to try to read the Bible for myself, even if you've never done that before, if you don't even know where Obadiah is or that that was even a book of the Bible. Come and and if you've studied Obadiah before and you want to refresh, come too. Um, But it is it's it's this is entry level. This is essential stuff. Um, We'd love to have you participate in that. So if you need childcare, we're providing childcare for that. Um, If you want to take advantage of that, there's no cost for that. But we need to know um, so we can get an accurate account. So we have the adequate uh, childcare workers here that day. So. Please RSVP for that as soon as possible this week, um, if at all possible, so we can get those um, people in place. We want to begin by praying and asking that as we read God's word, as we study it, that God would help us to understand it, and then we'll look at this passage together. Father in heaven, this is what we ask as we come and approach your word this morning. We ask that you would help us to hear your word with open hearts. So that we may truly understand. And understanding that we may believe. And believing that we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience. In seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If the message of Jesus, if the gospel, the the message of the kingdom, whatever language you want to put around that. if, If the message of Jesus is such good news then why aren't more people changed by it? Why don't more people become Christians and why aren't people who call themselves Christians more changed, more transformed by it? And why is it that some people become Christians and others don't? Why is it that some Christians seem to mature so much more quickly than others? See, lots of people have listened to what Jesus had to say, yet, yet not All of them have been truly changed by it. Well, well, why is this? Well, because listening to Jesus and understanding Jesus aren't the same thing. Just just hearing Jesus' words and truly understanding them, truly listening to him aren't the same thing. And this is what Jesus addresses this morning. And it's what Jesus shows is the difference between those who are changed and those who aren't has everything to do with the difference between just hearing and then truly understanding, between hearing and truly listening. And they're doing more and more research on listening. And what the research is demonstrating is that we don't listen all that well, which maybe we didn't need sort of formal scientific research to tell us that. Um, but there, there are different levels of listening, right? And, and I'm guilty far too often of, of not really hearing, not really listening to what Rachel is saying. Uh, either because I'm only hearing the words and not really grasping the message, or sometimes because I'm just hearing the sound of her voice and not paying attention at all. And if, if there's one thing that I could grow in as a husband, as a father, it would, it would be in listening. Um, it, it's actually something I pray about regularly. I have a three by five card of things I pray for, and one of the things is that I would be a better listener to Rachel. And, and it can be a bit of a cliche, right? The, the husband who doesn't really hear what his wife is saying, but. But it's, it's not something that I'm proud of, and I want to continue to work on listening well. And people who study listening talk about three different levels of listening. So there's kind of the lowest level of listening, low level of listening, which is sort of tuning out, kind of bored. Um, even if you are listening, you're only sort of listening enough that you can kind of give rebuttals or, or respond to what the other person is saying, just waiting to get your chance to talk. And there's kind of a medium level of listening, which is interested in the words, but you're not really grasping the message. You're, you're comprehending kind of the grammar, the syntax, the words that are coming at you, but you're, you're not really understanding the message that the speaker is trying to convey. And then the highest level of listening is truly seeking to understand the person. You're, you're, you're avoiding judgment. You're not, you're not trying to figure out or analyze exactly how you're going to respond in every moment. You're just receiving what they say. You're pausing to really understand, to ask follow-up questions before you make any kind of of an assessment, and then, only then, do you respond? See, there, there are ways that we can hear one another without really listening to one another. And there are ways that we can hear Jesus without really listening to him, without really understanding him. And that gulf, the gulf between Merely hearing and then truly understanding, truly listening. It's everything. It's the reason that some people become Christians and others don't. It's the reason why some Christians grow and flourish in their faith despite incredible hardships and difficult circumstances and even sort of the soul-suffocating comfort that we often have. It's also the reason why others get distracted, don't grow in their faith, or walk away altogether. In this passage, Jesus tells a story, a story about four types of soils and what happens to seed that lands in each. See, lots of people have heard what Jesus had to say. Not all of them, even those who call themselves Christians, have been changed by it. Why is this? Because hearing Jesus... And understanding Jesus aren't the same thing. Hearing Jesus and understanding him are not the same thing. So Matthew picks up the story that he's telling in his gospel on the very same day as the passage that we looked at together last week in Matthew chapter 12. And in the end of Matthew chapter 12, which Paul preached for us last week, we heard Jesus make a pretty stunning statement. He says at the end of Matthew chapter 12, my true family isn't those who are biologically related to me. It isn't even those who are ethnically descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people. No, Jesus says those who are truly my family are those who do God's will, who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Jesus says my family are those who listen to and understand and embrace the message of the kingdom, the gospel, the good news about me. And this is where Matthew picks up the story. Jesus has made that statement. And it says that same day, Matthew 13, 1, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him. So he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them things in parables. Parables. As Jesus, he leaves this house where he'd been having this conversation. He goes out to the shore of Lake Galilee and he steps into a boat and, and this huge crowd is gathered. And this is a picture here of, it's called Parable Cove, which is a place where um, scholars think this might have happened. It's kind of a, a natural amphitheater on the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum where Jesus lived and would have been a, an ideal place for him to sit in a boat and for lots of people to hear him speak. Now, what's interesting to notice here, as we read this part of the text, is who Jesus is speaking to. Matthew tells us he's speaking to the crowds, and this is one of the first places in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is specifically addressing the crowds. He's been talking and teaching quite a bit, but a lot of times he isn't speaking directly to the crowds. They're there, they're overhearing, but he's talking to his disciples, or he's talking to the religious leaders who are confronting him, and they're in the midst of a conflict. This is, this is different than how he's speaking to the disciples back in, in the Sermon on the Mount, for instance. But here Jesus is speaking directly to the crowds. They're not just kind of overhearing him or, or kind of looking in at a conversation. He's actually talking to them. And the crowds are people who are curious about Jesus. They're interested in him, but they, they haven't committed to him yet. They're not, they're not disciples. They're not following after Jesus. They're not committed to learning from him and t- trying to live life as he would live it. They're just curious. They've heard he's doing miracles. They want to check it out. And many of you maybe have been in that place in your life. Some of you here this morning are, are in that place. You're, you're curious, but still a bit skeptical. You're trying to explore Jesus. Maybe you grew up in the church, um, but you haven't been to church in a long time and kind of starting to come back and think, maybe is there something to this faith? Maybe I need this. I'm not sure if I do. If you're in that place of kind of curious, but still have some questions, curious, but a little bit skeptical, then Jesus is talking to you this morning. This is his audience in this passage. And so as Jesus does this, he speaks to the crowds in a way that's unique. Matthew tells us it's different than how he spoke to them in, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's different than how he's talking to the religious leaders. He uses this language of he speaks to them in parables. And, and a parable is a kind of story. Um, some of them are really long and involved. They have lots of characters and you know, clearly kind of delineated plot and kind of fully rounded stories. Others of them are just a couple of sentences. But parables, they, they tell the truth, but they tell it slant. You, you see, they aren't unadorned propositions that are presented to our reason to evaluate. Rather, they're many narrative worlds presented to our imaginations for us to dwell and to live in. They don't just propose truths. They create whole worlds of meaning. But Why? why does Jesus speak to the crowds in parables? This is the question that the disciples want to know. And so in verse 10, Jesus has shared this parable, and they go to Jesus, and they say, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? And it's an important question, because there are a lot of parables throughout the gospel, not only here in the gospel of Matthew, but in Mark and Luke and John as well. And Jesus' answer to this question, though, it's a bit of a riddle in of itself. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, this is how Jesus responds to their question of why do you speak to the crowds in parables? Jesus says, to you, the disciples, it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them, the crowds, it's not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear Nor do they understand. See, Jesus' answer, it's a complex answer. But essentially, Jesus is saying, I tell stories because I don't just want people to hear. I want them to listen. I want them to understand. And that word for understand, it comes up a lot in this passage of Matthew chapter 13. And it's more than just mental cognition. It begins in our minds, but it's more than that. It goes down to all of who we are. It transforms our life. And this is what the best stories do. The the best stories, they can reveal and they can hide. The the more you want to know about the story, the more you think about it, the more you turn it over in in your mind, the more you can understand. But if you're not interested, if you're looking for reasons to undermine the story, you can do that too, The less you long to know, the less you see. Pastor Larry Osborne calls this the dimmer switch principle. This is how he explains it. He says it's a simple principle, and here's how it works. When we respond to the light that we have, God gives us more. When we don't, he takes away the light we already have. Now catch this, Osborne says. It's not just that we stop growing when we ignore what we already know. We actually lose the light we once had. Maturity and spiritual depth take time, but I can please God right away because it's not a matter of how much I know or how long I've been at it. It's a matter of what I do with what I already know that matters most. We see this in relationships too, right? So if you're getting to know someone, you begin to develop a little bit of a rapport with them and, and they begin to share some things in their life. They share something hard or difficult or that they're embarrassed by or they're struggling with. And if in that moment you respond with care and compassion, with good listening, with trustworthiness, they'll continue to show you more of themselves. But if they take a risk in that moment and they share that, and and instead of being trustworthy and kind, you respond uh, by mocking them or or laughing at them or or worse, by gossiping to other people about what they've shared with you, not only do they not give you more of themselves, right? Right? but they actually withdraw from you completely. And, and the same is true in our relationship with God. If, if he begins to reveal himself and, and we want to know more, then he continues to reveal himself more. If, if we say re, we reject him, we don't want anything to do with it, then he lets us do that. And he takes himself away. See, Jesus doesn't force himself on us But the stories he tells, they they do cause us to go one direction or the other. They cause us to either ignore or to want to go deeper. Now, Jesus' disciples, they're listening because that's what disciples do. And they want to know more. They want to understand. And so later on in the chapter, Jesus explains the parable to them. And he tells them about these four types of soil, the hard soil, The rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. See, not every soil bears fruit. And listening to Jesus, just hearing him, hearing him and and, and listening to him is not just the same as as truly understanding him. And so first Jesus explains the hard soil, the seed that fell on the path. And notice how Jesus describes the soil in verse 18. He says, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand. Do you see where I'm getting that distinction between hearing and understanding? Every one of these soils hears, not all of them understand. The people who are the hard soil, they hear the word of the kingdom, but they don't understand and this is why uh, last week we, we saw this with the Pharisees, right? They are the hard soil. They were, they were so hardened to Jesus that the only explanation that they could give for his actions of healing is that he had to be doing it by the power of Satan. They, they heard, but they didn't understand. The hard soil hears Jesus, but it doesn't understand him. It's like if you're spreading grass seed or you're sowing, uh, you're planting seed or flowers, and some of that seed lands on, on the bricks or on the flower bed or on the driveway or the sidewalk. There's nothing wrong with the seed, but it's not going to grow because it can't get any place to, to be rooted. Birds are just going to come and eat it away. The, the seed isn't the issue. Just can't take root. And remember again, understanding isn't just mental cognition. It's not that the soil can't understand Jesus's grammar and syntax. The, the, the Pharisees they could understand the words that Jesus was saying. It wasn't a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of willingness. And when you aren't willing to go deeper when you don't desire to truly understand, when you're always in rebuttal rebuttal mode, you're always saying, well, yeah, but, instead of, what do you mean when? Eventually the birds will come and snatch away the seed. In other words, if you refuse Jesus long enough, you might just end up refusing him always. Always. And there are a lot of objections we can come up with for this, right? That, that, well, we just don't want Jesus, or or Christianity doesn't make sense, or it's got all these problems, or or just, I mean, Jesus is okay, but Christians are the worst. But the question you have to ask yourself in those moments is, would anything change your mind? And it doesn't necessarily have to be an active rejection of Jesus either, right? It can be passive. Because I would suspect that most of you here this morning aren't sort of actively saying, I'm against Jesus. You probably wouldn't be here this morning if that was the case. Maybe maybe someone just brought you and that's how you feel. But most of us who are hard soiled this morning, we're probably in more of a passive rejection mode. You're just too busy to consider him right now. you'll do that later. Maybe maybe you say, well, I'm I'm about to go off to college or I'm just starting off my career and I kind of have some things I want to do. I want to have some some me time. I want to do my stuff. And and then maybe when I have kids or, or maybe when I get married or maybe once things settle down a little bit, then I'll consider who Jesus is. But do you see the danger you're in? Beware that the birds don't come away and snatch away what little interest you do have. The next soil that Jesus explains is the rocky soil. And the rocky soil, uh, and the next one too, the thorns, these are tricky. Because at first, and and even for a while, they look like good soil. But then something happens. At first they're indistinguishable from the good soil, but then something happens. And, And in the case of the rocky soil, notice again carefully what Jesus says about it in verse 20. They hear... They even receive it with joy, but they haven't understood. Again, the difference is not that hearing versus not hearing. Every one of the soils hears, but the difference is around understanding. And Jesus says there's a way to hear and to even receive with joy and yet not really understand. The plant springs up immediately, but it can't go deep because the soil is too rocky. And so when hardship comes, when suffering comes, when opposition comes, it just dies out. It withers away in the heat of the sun. The soil immediately receives it with joy, and it also immediately abandons when it doesn't work anymore, when things get hard. This can happen in a lot of different ways. For for example, do I walk away from Jesus when, when his sexual ethic becomes unpopular? Do I walk away when, when calls to obedience impinge on my career goals? Do you walk away when, when your girlfriend or your boyfriend just doesn't get this whole Jesus thing while you're spending all this time at church? You know, I constantly have to be on guard for this rocky soil in my in my own life. I often think about, ask myself, would I continue to do this work of, of pastoring if it became illegal? Or if I was in a context where where it was much more difficult? What if it no longer provided a salary or health insurance for my family? Would I continue in this work? The problem here is that the joy that these people experienced wasn't joy in Jesus. It was a joy that Jesus was helping them to get what they actually wanted. A a comfortable life, a, a sense of peace and serenity, victory over a bad habit. They didn't actually, they weren't really rejoicing in Jesus. They were rejoicing that it seemed like Jesus is helping them along the way to to this destination that they actually wanted to go to. But the second that Jesus is no longer an effective means to their true end, they're done. Jesus for them was just, it was just another app on the phone. It wasn't that he wasn't the operating system. We've been using this metaphor and it's such a helpful one because Jesus becoming a Christian isn't just like downloading an app onto your phone. It's actually like changing your entire operating system from going to iOS to Android or, or vice versa. It's the underlying structure on which everything else runs. You see, nowhere does Jesus promise an easy life. In fact, he calls us to die to ourselves and, and promises actually that we're going to experience suffering if we're following him. Follow him even perhaps to our deaths, but to be resurrected in a new world. But the problem is we think that we're already there, but we're, we're actually not. So beware. Beware, heat will come. Suffering will come. Your roots will be tested. But you see, it's not just bad things. It's not just hard things. It's not just suffering or opposition or, or oppression that can cause us to falter. It's actually good things can do the same thing this is what jesus says in verse 22 about the thorns He says as for what was sown among the thorns this is the one who hears the word again the word is being heard this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful See, Jesus, this is the people who, who they're just too busy. There's too many distractions. You're not trying to avoid him. You just don't have time to, to bring him into your life. You know, there can be so much good things in our lives that it crowds out the truly great thing that is Jesus. Jesus also here mentions the deceitfulness of riches see, riches will lie to you all day long. Riches tell us the lie that, that I'm all you really need, that if you just have enough stuff, enough money, that you'll be okay, that you'll really be happy. Riches lie. They're, no, they're not bad, you just can't trust them. You can't trust what they say to you. You have to be able to tell riches what to do, not listen to what riches say they can do for you. The deceitfulness of riches. The trouble is is that we tend to believe the lie. And you see this plant that's growing up in this thorny soil, and it looks fine. It looks good at first. And then you start to see there's some other stuff growing around it, some weeds. And at first, they're not a big deal. It doesn't seem like that big of a problem. But if you just let them go week after week, month after month, year after year, they begin to take light, they begin to take nutrients, soil, water and the plant starts to get choked. And it's way harder to get rid of them. I remember one time we were going on vacation, it was about this time of year and there was this patch in our yard that it used to be a garden and so it was it was good soil but we weren't going to plant a garden and the weeds started growing up and we went on vacation and I didn't get a chance to weed it before we left and we came back and then it was raining and one thing after another, I didn't get to it, and finally, I mean, these weeds had grown and grown and grown in what would have been just a, an hour-long job. I ended up taking almost a whole day to weed out and to cut down all the stuff that had grown up. The weeds, they just slowly encircle. They squeeze tighter and tighter. They begin to choke out. These good things, at first, are just good things, but they start to become ultimate things. They start to become things that, that we can't live without. Things that we try to have Jesus and them and then at the end of the day, if push comes to shove, we'd actually rather have them if we can only have one. What are the good things that are in danger of becoming an ultimate thing for you? That are threatening to choke out the work of Christ in your life. But there's one more soil, the good soil. The one soil that over time stands the test of time and it's slow, it's steady, it's persistent. Look at verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. hears the word and understands it indeed he bears fruit and it yields in one case a hundredfold in another 60 and in another 30 see hearing and understanding hearing jesus and understanding Him, aren't the same thing every one of the soils heard only one of them understood and understanding is the difference it makes all the difference I see, the hard soil, it never had a chance to take root. The rocky soil, it withers. The thorny soil is completely unfruitful. It just ends up being choked out. But the good soil, the good soil is astonishingly fruitful. It produces a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 fold. Now at this time, a yield of, of 10 uh, to 15 fold was considered a really good harvest. You're just saying, even the most minimal of what Jesus' fruit produces, 30%, is is at least double what what a really good harvest would have been. So the question then is is how do I know which one I am? Especially since we all know that we have have hard places, thorny places, rocky places in our hearts and our lives. How, How do we know? where we fall in this. Well, if we look back at the text, we could see in the different pieces of what Jesus has already unpacked for us some, some kind of test. And they are, if you look at your life and you see the hard places in your heart, and yet you keep returning, you keep coming back for more, it's a sign that your heart's beginning to soften. You haven't walked away. You haven't abandoned. The seed hasn't been taken away. You, you see those places of hardness, of unwillingness, and yet you keep coming back. Or you faced suffering and trial and hardship and disappointment, and, and you look at those things and you say, That could have crushed me. That could have ruined me. I could have walked away, but I didn't. I'm, somehow I'm, I'm still here. And actually, those things caused me to grow. Or you look at all the distractions and cares and the deceitfulness of riches and, and they haven't choked you out. And In fact, they've made you more passionate about, about being generous with your time and money and attention and resources. And you can point to places where, where weeds are beginning to be pulled and, and trimmed and they're receding. You see, the disciples that Jesus was speaking to, they were the good soil. And many, many of you here this morning You are good soil. And I I know that because I see the fruit that is coming in your lives. I see it. I see your faithfulness and your work and serving the community for the common good in the the workplaces, as as engineers and butchers, as, as nurses and HR professionals, as designers and first responders. I see the good work. I see the fruit of your labor. I see it in your perseverance and trials. Some of you have lost children. Some of you had mis- have had miscarriages. Some of you have had cancer. Some of you have lost loved ones. You've faced incredible hardship, and yet you remain fruitful and faithful. Some of you have suffered immense physical pain or, or mental anxiety, and yet you remain fruitful and faithful. see it when, when despite the siren calls of expressive individualism and materialism and consumerism, I see in your lives love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And I rejoice in that. And more than that, Jesus delights in you. He delights in the fruit in your life. So don't give up. Stand firm. Continue to go deep. Fight the good fight. Continue to bear fruit. Now here's the tension after hearing a message like this. Because you know, we all want to know, then, then how do I become the good soil? And that, that was kind of my question after reading this. Okay, well, what are the steps that Jesus gives me to become good soil? How can I remove the rocks? How can I till up the weeds and and soften the ground? Well, I have some good news for you this morning. You actually can't. You you can't on your own become good soil. And the reason, though, that that is good news is there was one who can make you good soil. You see, Jesus isn't just the sower who sows the seeds. He's also the gardener who can bring you to life. He's the only one who can till up the ground. He's the only one who can remove the stones. He's the only one who can kill the weeds. You see, we must first come to see that while we were sinners, while we were rocky, while we were hard, while we were thorny, Christ died for us. He was given a, thorn, a crown of thorns so that we wouldn't have to be choked out by them. He was buried and died, was placed in a stony tomb and three days later rose again so that our hearts would be softened and that we could go deep even in the midst of suffering, That he could make you new even in spite of great hardship. So ask him to come and till up the hard places to clear the path he is ready and willing so that we'll not only hear his words, but understand them and follow him and flourish and bear fruit 30, 60, even a hundredfold. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I just simply ask that you would do the work that's required to make us good soil. Would you, through the regenerating, life-giving power of the Holy Spirit, allow us to bear fruit Allow us to maintain faithfulness and fruitfulness even in the midst of great hardship and in crushing distraction. In Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.